This is a Care Chronicles podcast episode with Erin, Kaylee, and JL from the Creative Dementia Collective. This podcast was previously known as Music Therapy Chronicles. A model that we've, we love good alliteration, so we've coined this our head, hands, heart, humanity model. So when we start working with people, we are gonna start by explaining, you know, how is dementia affecting someone's brain? How is that in turn affecting their, their, their skills, their abilities, their personality? And then, you know, how is that gonna show up externally and how can we respond as care partners? Just to be able to like accomplish skills and, you know, go through life doing the things that you need to do, those activities of daily life. So we're gonna start really practical. You're listening to The Care Chronicles, a podcast about self-care, healthcare, and everything in between. I'm your host, Trisha Coyote. I'm a board-certified music therapist, and I'm currently pursuing my master's degree in mental health counseling. I'm also a creative, multi-passionate, nature-loving, many-water-sign forever student. Join me and guests on the show as we explore how we take care of ourselves and each other. Welcome or welcome back to The Care Chronicles. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your time on this little corner of the internet today. I hope that you are looking forward to an awesome conversation today. Talking with these three ladies is... um, one of my favorite things. They were previous guests on the show. They are the only conversation I've had that I had to break up into three episodes. We talked for so much on so many different topics. We had three episodes together and they have come back to tell us about the new things they've been working on, their head, hand, heart, humanity model, and how they are truly revolutionizing dementia care. And they have so many useful bits of information. We have really deep conversation and I just enjoy talking with these women. So I hope you enjoy it as well. If you are loving this conversation, definitely check out their other episodes. They are numbers 111, 112, and 113 of this show everything of course will be linked and if you would like to get cmte opportunities or cmte credits for listening to one of their episodes check out our pod course personal development is professional development these ladies are one of the featured episodes in that pod course it was just serendipitous that they happened to come back on the show when that pod course is on sale the pod course will be on sale until the 25th so you have a couple more days to check it out before it goes into the vault and it may come out again it may not so if you really want to get those eight cmte credits for essentially self-care and personal development definitely check that out before it's gone if you want more discounted cmte opportunities for listening to podcasts check out the whole mtpc shop of course that will also be linked and there is one other pod course currently on sale 
um, before it goes into the vault. So as, as I mentioned, everything will be linked. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. And if you're looking for more from these three women, check out all the links, both for their other conversations on this show, as well as their own amazing content. Let's get into it. All right, JL, Erin, and Kaylee, welcome to the newly rebranded Care Chronicles. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Thanks for coming Bye. back on the show. Yeah. How are you this guys is one doing? of this is one of our favorite conversations last time. So happy to be back. <laughs> yeah. I specifically remember the meme that we made to promote this podcast of somebody sitting in a bathtub with a bag of hot Cheetos and headphones on. <laughs> Yes. Epic. Legendary. So if any of the listeners don't know what the heck we're talking about, go check it out. Um, episodes 111, 12, and 13. It was a three-parter because we had a lot to talk about. So that's where to find those references. <laughs> so to start, do you guys want to reintroduce yourselves individually? What you do together could be outside of your work too. Tell us all sure. about it. Yeah, um, I'll go first. This is Kaylee. I am the music therapist on the Creative Dementia Collective team. Um, and that is what I bring to our work together. We're a team of three millennial women working in an interdisciplinary way to serve people living with dementia and their care partners, both uh, personal loved ones and professional. Um, and I also have a sweet, sweet um, dog who does pet therapy named Rosemary. Yeah, so that's me. My name's Erin Stadiker. I am a, a dementia educator. I'm a certified independent trainer with Tipa Snow's organization, Positive Approach to Care. Um, and so I bring that dementia education piece to what we do in the collective. And then, you know, as my side gig, I also run a memory care <laughs> here in downtown Seattle. Um, so I also have that lens of the care community setting. Um, that comes comes into play, you know, comes into the conversation with a lot of the folks that we work with who are doing this journey at home. So and I am JL Weinberg and I am the art therapist at, uh, in the Creative Dementia Collective. I'm also a mental health counselor and um, in my also outside of the Creative Dementia Collective, I run my own therapy private practice where I see adult clients individually. Um, and yeah, I'm so excited to be here today. Awesome. You guys obviously have a lot going on and it's awesome to see your worlds um, intersect both like your, your disciplines, how you guys collaborate on all that, as well as your individual passions and how they bleed into each other and inform each other. I think that's really cool. And I know throughout the time that I have been a music therapist, the conversation around being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like co-trained, co-certified, you know what I'm, I'm 
the word is escaping me. Uh, but like that has become a lot more open where it's not like you can only be this one thing. A lot more people are saying, well, I also am this thing and this thing. And it's really important that I do all of these things. So it's cool to see how you guys have so many and how they all come together so you can support people living with dementia and their families, which I know um, is not something I see as often is support for like the whole ecosystem of the family. I would say that's the biggest bulk of what we do, wouldn't you say, is really supporting families so that they can in turn feel empowered to support their loved one because, yeah, they often get left in the dust. Um, But I love love how you put that, supporting the ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that you guys are doing a lot of good work, so I'm just going to let you take it away on what you want us to talk about today, what's top of mind, what you want people to know, all that stuff. Ooh, where to start? Um, we we brainstormed a little bit <laughs> before we came on um, about things we could talk about today. Um, and one of the things we that's just really present for me right now, but also is just um, a universal facet of this work is changing course. Mm-hmm. Um, changing course, certainly as like a professional, but also as care partners. Um, For those who don't know, I'm an at-home care partner for my dad who has dementia. Um, And dementia is a moving target. (laughs) It's um, things that work one day and routines that are awesome just suddenly (laughs) like change. The support you have changes, uh, the circumstances around you change, uh, your loved one themselves can change. Um, and I, I feel like, um, I feel like there can be like a judgment in, uh, the hierarchy of care. Like, uh, Aaron and I were talking about this, how, um, kind of societally I, as a daughter who is caring for my dad, who's living with dementia, my reaction is like, oh, you're such a great daughter. Oh, what you're doing for your dad. That's such a, (laughs) such a good thing you're doing for your dad. And then the people who are doing this job professionally, and let's just say it largely, um, minority folk, right. Um, people who are marginalized, um, very thankless. <laughs> it's people feel like if they are paying you, they can kind of walk all over you. Um, so there's like this judgment in how you care or the setting of care. Um, and there's a hierarchy. And I feel like um, while everybody who is involved with somebody living with dementia is part of that team and all eyes matter. If you're leading with that judgment, that's when things go awry. And if you're leading with that curiosity, that's when things are really beautiful. We used an example. I'm, um, I'm letting go of some control and power with dad and I'm letting him dress himself. And JL offered me the example of like, if dad walks out of the the house in mismatched socks, that could mean a couple of things, right? It could mean, oh my gosh, Kaylee's super overwhelmed. This is not like her to let her dad walk out of the house like that. Something's going on. She needs help. She needs somebody to reach out. Um, Or it could mean, I'm empowering my dad to dress himself and who cares? <laughs> who cares if he's wearing mismatched socks? Who actually cares? So if somebody comes to me and they're like, oh my God, your dad is an absolute wreck today. What is going on with you? 
Like that's not going to get us anywhere. But if, if somebody says, Hey, um, I noticed your dad's outfits are very different lately. Um, tell me about that. Like what's or is everything good or what, what is this about? And then that gives me the opportunity to say, yeah, we're mm-hmm. empowering dad to dress himself because sometimes the truth is as care partners, <laughs> we can't do it all. And, you know, if I want him to look nice for something, I'll lay out some clothes and he'll happily put them on and we'll go to, you know, an event or a birthday party or whatever it is. But if we're just hanging out on a Tuesday, sure, wear the same sweatshirt three days in a row. Who cares? Who really, really cares? Yeah. So that's what we were talking about a lot lately is kind of like ebbing and flowing with those changes and like how it's just constant, just a constant change. Yeah. I, on another recent conversation, so people probably have heard it. I was talking with a guest about clinically, sometimes we do things that like, I'll intentionally put myself in a situation where I say something wrong or I do something silly, or I, you know, use disclosure, or I model something that I'm really hoping I work with school kids. So I say students, but something that I'm really hoping my students will pick up on and getting past that. Oh, my coworkers probably think I'm silly, or I don't know this thing or that I messed up when like, it's actually very intentional. So letting go of that, that lateral judgment, like, I don't care what the people next to me think because I know I'm doing this with intention um and being able to own that so right but also like leaving <laughs> space for them to come to you and say hey I noticed you keep like forgetting what day it is are you okay <laughs> right and like how that work like our work specifically can look like it doesn't necessarily always look bright and shiny <laughs> like sometimes it looks weird and awkward and painful but like that's therapy yeah yeah I absolutely hear that. I I can think of so many times when, you know, I'm standing with one of my residents, you know, I, I, I call them residents. You have students, I have residents and I'm standing with one of my residents and maybe their family member. And the resident is in a different reality than we are. And we are always training people to enter their reality, right? Meet them where they're at. We don't do this thing called reality orientation anymore, where, you know, if you say that you haven't had lunch today, you know, I don't say, yes, you did. You just ate lunch an hour ago. You had a tuna fish sandwich. And like, we don't do that because it makes them feel Mm -hmm. stupid. And it messes up the connection between me and that person. Instead, we enter their reality. We reinforce wherever they are. um, And sometimes I will you know, be doing that. I'll be entering their reality in front of a family member. And they're looking at me again, like they think I'm totally nuts. And they're like, don't you realize she just had lunch? And I'm trying to give them these eyes like, yes, or do. Don't you see what I'm doing here? Join me, join us in this wonderful <laughs> magical us. journey that we're on. Like some people get it and other people really don't. And they're like, I'm really concerned. Is she really not eating? I'm like, oh my gosh, you got to work with me here. <laughs> like, Come on. So yeah, I get that. Yeah. That's an interesting example. I'm actually curious, like, so say you're having that, um, there's someone very near and dear to me who is living with dementia and I 
interact with very frequently and things like that come up. So I'm like curious for my own self too. Yeah. So what do you do if like they're constantly eating lunch, you know, or like how, when do you know when to redirect or when to play it out? I don't know. I'm curious. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's all my answer to everything is always, it depends. Yeah, um, yeah. It depends on that person, but you know, if somebody's constantly eating, maybe, you know, what you can control is not how often they eat, but maybe how much and what they mm. eat. Um, so having different kinds of snacks available, maybe they're the type of person that wants to snack throughout the day instead of sitting down and having, you know, three square meals. Um, so who says that they have to eat breakfast in the morning, lunch in the afternoon and dinner at night, you know, they can have mm. 10 mini meals throughout the day and that's totally fine. And that also satisfies that need for them to, you know, comfort themselves or whatever need is being met out of needing to eat lunch, quote unquote, mm -hmm. lunch so often. So yeah. maybe lunch is like a really connective time for them. Maybe sitting down, you know, and having lunch is like when they get to sit down and talk to neighbors or there's some other kind of ritual that accompanies that. So I would just get curious about what, um, you know, what cues that person to want to have lunch all the time. Yeah. And then kind Thank of dance you. in that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. I, I also think that it's, you know, not saying this at you, but just a, a note for people who are listening as kind of a, I don't know, a um, an invitation for reflection, right? Especially, especially around food and care, right? A lot of our own food stuff can get projected onto people we care for and not mm -hmm. just people living with dementia, but children and anyone else who you have some sort of relationship with that involves an element of power, right? And so, um, right, for uh, just a an example, right? If you have, if you are an adult child caring for a mom living with dementia and mom has always been really concerned about her figure and really had some like deeply ingrained diet culture stuff going on. And she is progressing in her dementia and really wants to eat a lot of ice cream. Like we, people with dementia love ice cream. We have a whole post about it on our Instagram. There's a like super deep biology. I won't go into the biology of why we love ice cream so much other than it like goes way, way back to like breast milk. And it's the same ratio of fat to carbohydrate that is in breast milk and it's cold. It's a whole sensory thing. Like people mm with dementia, their brains are engaging with food perhaps in different ways than they ever had before. And we have to kind of keep in mind, well, we don't have to, but in my opinion, it's really important that we ought to include these, like Kaylee was saying, the flexibility, right, of she doesn't need to fit into the dress that she wore to whatever, whatever wedding, like she has a progressive disease and is finding joy in eating a treat. Like mm -hmm. we need to check our own judgment about things like that. And obviously making sure people are getting the nutrients that they need and aren't eating food that make them sick and, and all of those things. That's our responsibility as care partners. Um, but when we're feeling this kind of like vice grip of, oh no, it's out of control or they're eating too much or they're eating things they never ate before, or that's unhealthy. Like we need to kind of evaluate ourselves as care partners and just kind of double check of like, why am I so worked up about this? What's being mm -hmm. activated for me? Is it actually a physical, you know, um, medical nutritional thing I'm worried about? Or is my own kind of fat phobia or diet culture um, scripts leaking out and making me, 
take pleasure and joy and a little bit of just sensory pleasure away from someone who maybe that's the highlight of their day. So I, I feel very passionately about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that falls under our, our, our greater theme that we've just been reflecting on as a team for the last couple of months about changing course. That's a, that's just a, a course to change for us, you know, in the way that we're thinking about the role food plays in somebody's life. And, you know, it's just an opportunity to change course in a really powerful way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just like, that, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to reiterate what you said about everything's always changing. So what works yeah. today, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I was just going to say as the daughter of a champion snacker in my dad, <laughs> he is, whoo, he's so good at snacking, um, can relate uh, hard and like, yes, exactly. Like you said, Trisha, it's like one of the things that I think uh, is so challenging about this disease um, is we are constantly grieving and mourning the person that our loved one used to be uh, in order to be present with the person in front of us, yeah. um, which is really a, a strange thing and is something we don't really a muscle we don't really flex in our society um it it's kind of it, there's a lot of compartmentalization there's a lot of um like active grief complex grief it's it's a really strange thing to do um and when I like I'm feeling kind of caught up in that I try to focus on like the 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 moment and the joy i think that's the flip side of that exact thing that we're seeing is um we are very much a society that is focused on uh the past and the future and very <laughs> confused about being present um and dementia it you have to be present this is the only moment this is this is it um for your loved one and so i think the flip side of of that is um that lesson of, of being present with that person. And there are aspects of my relationship with my dad that, um, are gone. They're, they're not going to come back. I'm, I'm not going to be five again. He's not going to be 40 again. He's not going to, uh, be at his vital prime. I'm not going to be, um, you know, an innocent. Um, but, how cool is it that I can sit here at the breakfast table and read funny memes to him and watch him practically spit out a cereal through his nose? You know, that's something <laughs> that didn't exist in 1996 um, and that I really get to enjoy with him today. Um, how great is it that, you know, he can really be present in his youth and talk about the musicians of the 60s and 70s as if he's hearing them for the first time because in his mind and in his experience um that's how it feels and and mm -hmm. these musicians are still exciting and new and he still has that uh teenage uh exploration and finding of himself and how cool is it that I get to kind of visit my dad of the 70s like we're time traveling together how you know, like looking at the flip side of that coin, like not to say that it's always easy. It's absolutely not. But I think in every pain of this journey, there is absolutely a gift in each mm -hmm. one of those. And it's about um, 
it's about finding those and being gentle with yourself when you're in the pain and really relishing those moments. Uh, I think Aaron called them the sparkle moments, the sparkle moments where like, you know, everything's a little sparkly. You see that spark in their eye and it's just like this connected present moment of joy. Yeah. That's something that we've also been reflecting on is how do we create meaning in our work, whether you're doing it professionally or you're being a care partner behind closed doors to some somebody at home, which your work's probably not going to be witnessed very often. Um, so how do we create meaning in that work when there's no real tangible result of our care and those moments, like those victory moments, those sparkle moments, they're really moments and they're, they're fleeting. Um, and 99% of the time, nobody else is there to see them. Um, so it's, it's, it's been something we've really been digging into. Jail was kind of had a really cool art therapy process versus, you know, product way of thinking about it. Jail, do you, do you want to say a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the kind of core ideas in art therapy, um, and just a, a little refresh for your listeners, um, art therapy is similar to music therapy in that it is um, not education-based, right? We're not teaching people to be good musicians or good artists. We are using this cre particular creative outlet as a facilitator and tool for the therapeutic process. And art therapy as a discipline is facilitated by a licensed clinician um, who is trained in art therapy. Um, and so there's a lots of, there are lots of ways for art to be therapeutic, and that is for everybody. Um, Engaging in creativity is helpful for every human being, um, but art therapy is specifically um, uh, like kind of one angle of that uh, with these within this kind of structure, right? Um, hold on one second. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm recovering from the flu. <laughs> um, so in art therapy, one of the core core tenants is this idea of process versus product. And the process of art making, right, is the physical action or the preparatory action for creating. If you're talking about painting um, as an art, a form of artistic expression, the process would be the act of thinking about what you're going to create and render, getting your paints ready, putting the paint onto the canvas, moving your body around to make those marks and those brushstrokes. And then the product is the physical thing that is left when the process is done. Um, it's the, the canvas with the art on it, right? And we are not super familiar as a culture with process-based art for process sake. We love to talk about process that is like super amazing and then have the little token of product that we can keep in our hands and hold. And with dementia, it's complicated because sometimes what is created visually is not, that's not the goal, right? We're not sitting here saying, paint me a pretty picture. We're saying, um, 
can we move our bodies around and express what's inside of us, right? And so just like I imagine as a music therapist, there are lots of times where you are creating music, making sound, engaging in the musical process, but not recording it. It's not a song you keep and repeat or whatever the thing might be. So it, it's very similar in art therapy that way. Um, but in dementia care, the process is something that we try to lean harder into because those are the experiential moments. The products mm -hmm. can serve a very helpful purpose, right? It, imagine someone who has felt like I'm not a great artist uh, for their whole life. And then you engage in art therapy with them and they make a watercolor that's really vibrant and and. Um, and kind of moving in its in its colors or its texture. And then you hang that on the wall and they can take a look at that thing and say, wow, I made that. But if someone living with dementia is not in a place where they can keep that information and identify, oh, this product belongs to me. And this is a reflection of my inherent genius, right? It's just another piece of art on the wall, but making sure that people have access to engaging in this process and getting the, the physical enactment of the creative element of humanity is really, really important um, for overall wellness. And so as an art therapist working in dementia care, making those moments of engagement really profound and as elaborate as I can um, and decreasing the value we put on this has to this process has to go well so that we can put this drawing on the fridge later not the priority at all right so um when we're talking about finding meaning in those particular moments um process really comes into play there yeah I had an instance this week where I was working with a group of high schoolers and there was another teacher present um, who hasn't come to a lot of my sessions and we were working on rhythms and passing rhythms and this teacher was kind of like you know he could feel that things were off that these rhythms were not consistent that the students weren't exactly picking it up and so I turned to him and I said rhythmic accuracy is not my goal group cohesion is my goal. <laughs> so they're focused and they're passing the rhythms. They're doing great. You're uncomfortable because you feel it's off. Let that go. <laughs> like, yes. Sit in the discomfort. Yes. Yeah. A 100, 100% sitting in the discomfort as care partners, as clinicians, as providers, like that is our responsibility. Right. And, um, this whole attachment to to outcome or to object or or product is really a reflection of our own grief honestly um there's every every time we experience process without saved product we have a moment of loss right it's a thing that existed that we experienced that was wonderful or meaningful or hard or whatever it was it was alive and then it stopped existing like it exists back in that time and in our bodies but we can't revisit it through product and it's really devastating for many people to let go of moments that were super precious to then return to the present without that thing, right? So um, it, it's, I, I think ed, everyone can relate to that moment where some, some magic occurred and there was no documentation of it. And there's almost, for me, it's this thing of like, nobody's going to believe this. Nobody's going to believe that this thing happened or this magic occurred or that like, holy F, it was so incredible. Nobody was there, right? And um, I, I mean, that's, 
always been a struggle for me. I love to save things to revisit. It's like, it's a comforting kind of thing um, in, a, in an anxiety kind of way. But yeah, that's, I think something for us to, to pay attention to on, on the provider side of how do we hold our grief of magic that we witnessed that nobody else will ever witness. And the person who was there alongside of it, experiencing it with us also might not remember it. Right. Mm. And that is, Ooh, that is really, that's, that's a big thing to hold, you know? Yeah. Erin's bobbing her head. <laughs> Just like em emphatic. Am I nodding out loud yet? Is this out loud? <laughs> Can you hear yes. my head banging through the speaker? <laughs> And that's some that's something that I if there's anybody out there listening who, you know, is a family member and you have a loved one who's maybe in in another person's care, whether, you know, they have another professional care partner, you know, at an at home setting or they're living in a care community setting, like just try this on, try it on mm -hmm. and consider that the people who, you know, the staff working in that place, like they're witnessing hundreds of mini moments like that they're there for the process and they can't always capture that in a photograph and convey it to you mm -hmm. um your love the loved one is most likely never going to say oh hey you know when you call and you say hey what did you do today they're probably not going to say oh wow oh, I got to tell you I had this I was in this music group and I had this really powerful experience, you know, traveling back in time to my early twenties. And I really just felt so like, they're not going to be able to communicate that to you, but you have to be able to, you know, trust and give people the benefit of the doubt that those things are happening. Um, and, and, and also, yeah, at the same time, be able to kind of grieve that you're not going to be there for all of those, those moments. Um, but it's, it's again, not an opportunity to, um, walk all over the people who give care professionally, um, and wish with every ounce of their being that you could be there to witness every moment, but you, you just can't. And that's, you know, one of the pitfalls of being in a care community setting, but, you know, take comfort in the fact that there are people there with really, really big hearts who are very highly trained, who are making those moments available for your loved one. And, and, and when you come, you're going to be a part of them. So. Yeah. You can rest assured that the, uh, the, if your loved one is in a community setting, the staff is not there for the honor and the glory and the paycheck. Mm. <laughs> like the staff is there because, uh, they, they have a heart for it. Um, you know, there, there's a few exceptions uh, as with any workplace, or there are people who are, um, you know, going to school and ultimately want to do something else. And this works for them right now, but at largely the people that are uh, hands-on with your loved one day in, day out, uh, are there because they love this work. And I was, I can't remember who I was talking to recently, but I was talking to somebody about, um, sometimes when I tell people what I do, I get the reaction of like, I could never do that. <laughs> wow. Oh, I could never do that. That must be so hard. And like, it, like with any job, of course, there are parts that are hard and that's real. And I think a lot of the stuff, um, I think 
part of the reason that reaction happens is a lot of the stuff that's hard about this work is existentially hard is like kind of the big questions of life hard um rather than like I'm bored out of my mind or my my boss is a jerk which can also happen (laughs) um (laughs) but like the flip side of that is like I have a great job what are you talking about like I, are you kidding me? Like, yeah, I have people who do very bizarre things in my group, but that I I'm never have a dull day. Uh, every day is different. Um, and I get to, I get to be a passenger along this ride where there's a lot of joy and there's a lot of, um, we were talking about the concept of ungrowing, mm-hmm. right? We're talking about like watching people ungrow, um, a lot of people turn away from that because of their own baggage, um, usually around like death and dying and insignificance, right? Not being useful, not mattering. It all comes back to capitalism. We always say that it all comes back to capitalism, but, um, but honestly, like being with somebody through that journey and the ungrowing, uh, through that whole process, it's really profoundly, honoring it's really Mm -hmm. profoundly beautiful it's an act of love and caring that I think is one of the deepest ways that you can love or care for somebody um is to witness them is to hold them in that is to um is to really stay with them through that and not turn away because of your own stuff Mm um and you know that's a lot of the stuff that people, when they say, oh my gosh, I could never do that. That's what they're thinking about. That's the hard stuff. But it's honestly what draws me to this work in a really like profound and meaningful way um, is that that ungrowing. Um, so yeah, I, do, and I, I, I see Aaron <laughs> ready to jump in. Tell me about ungrowing. Well, I think we're also, the, the term ungrowing came up for us because we were talking about how some people, when we tell them what, what we do, they say, or we give like examples of something that happened at work today. They're like, oh, that sounds so much like parenting. And we're like, while there may be many parallels, this is just another great example of, um, you know, when you're parenting, I'm not a parent, so I'm going to, I'm going to say this badly. I apologize parents out there listening, but when you're a parent, you're raising your kids to be able, you know, to operate in the world. You're raising them to have their own, you know, bodily autonomy, all these things that you're teaching your kids to do. You're teaching them to tie their shoelaces, right? Like ultimately there are skills, you know, both internally and externally that you're teaching them how to do. Um, and you would, one would think that, you know, after however many lessons and being able to make the bunny loops and, you know, loop the shoelaces around, they'll eventually be able to complete that task called tying your shoelaces. And that's one, you know, very just like tangible way of demonstrating growth, right? We're, the work we're doing isn't about learning new skills. It isn't about having that tangible result of our care. Um, so again, it's going to be um, you know, more about that process of discovering a new way to do uh, do something. Um, so kind of in the sense of, you know, we're, we're not helping people to grow or to grow, you know, biologically or chemically grow new neural pathways. We're creating a really safe, friendly, forgiving environment for them to ungrow. Yeah. And 
to allow, you know, cause yeah, biologically and chemically, they are kind of re reverting back to, you know, developmentally that childlike self. And how do we make that as, as kind and forgiving as, and dignified as we possibly can while maintaining as much of that autonomy as they still can and want to have. Um, so, so that's, that's where that term ungrowing came from. Um, and I just lost my train of thought. So I'm going to mute my, myself and let somebody else jump in. <laughs> I'll pick up the baton, Erin. If you remember what you were going to say, just raise your hand and please interject me. But I like, I am thinking about something that, you know, when you kind of think about an idea and it like makes your heart race, like, because it feels so true. <laughs> I'm kind of having one of those moments right now of, wow, I'm feeling really actually moved by this idea and very caught off guard by how emotional it makes me feel. Um, this idea that, sorry, just give me one second to kind of <laughs> um, find my voice. When we're young, right, we come into the world with this kind of golden self, right? This part of this version of who we are that's brought into the world that is really unique and beautiful and powerful. And as time goes on and as we live in culture and society and communities, all of these expectations and rules get placed upon us. And, you know, developmentally, psychologically, we kind of call it like personas get formed, right? These ways that we behave to navigate the world that keep us safe or keep us feeling valued. And then in dementia care, right at end of life, it, it happens at end of life for a lot of people, whether or not they have dementia, but dementia puts it kind of turns the volume up to the max on this ungrowing idea and this shedding of these personas that we had to wear for, for some people decades and decades and decades. And then what a privilege it is for us as care partners to be able to help support people in taking off these layers that have been, you know, can, can feel like prisons. Right. And there's an example that I, I think about a lot with a, a resident that I worked with a number of years ago who grew up, um, old money, very prim, very proper, was the lady that like wore pearls always, you know, made up to a T, um, really proper lady, right? And as her dementia progressed, she started flirting a lot. And that's very common in, in dementia, um, for some types of dementia and in brain change. But she would flirt with, um, you know, servers when we would go to a restaurant, she would talk about, my favorite was there was someone who would come uh, into the community to offer last rites to people who were uh, passing away or on hospice who, who wanted them. And she thought he was so handsome and loved flirting, <laughs> flirting with the priest. That was my favorite. Um, but, you know, she would start talking sometimes. She'd get really excited and be like, what if I just got on the table and danced? And I was like, what if you did? That would be amazing. I mean, we don't want to break a hip, but also like, I love the energy, right? And so this idea that this woman over decades had to turn off this sensual 
gregarious part of herself that clearly exists in there somewhere and that I was able to be present for her and support her not shame her of like oh my gosh that's inappropriate no we don't dance on tables oh that's unladylike you know but really lean into this liberation element she was playing around with and um yeah there's something that obviously feels incredibly moving about that to me of this thing of we get to bear witness and be almost like doulas of this cultural unlearning that happens mm-hmm. in end of life or can happen for some people. And as someone who like feels very passionately about how like wretched capitalism is and how much harm it does to everybody, um, I feel very empowered by this thing of can I give someone a reparative experience towards the end of their life where they were told one thing forever that made them kill off or hide or put into shadow parts of themselves and then bring those parts back out into light before they die? Like, wow, that's just, yeah, it's really, yeah, I feel really blessed to be able to to experience that. I love that you used the word shadow because that's kind of what I was thinking about. I think our generation and generations um, younger than us are doing more of that work, that shadow work, that that shedding of all the things we put on to exist. And it's almost like dementia gives people in their last years of life no excuse not to do that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're getting to do it. You know, I think something that's wonderful about younger generations doing that work actively in earlier phases of life, you know, first third of life, midlife, um, you have time to be your authentic self. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there's, you know, there's a bit of grief that comes along with it happening kind of at like five minutes to midnight in some people's lives. But that I think that's exactly true what you're saying, you know, that um, yeah, bringing it, bringing it out of the shadow yeah or maybe it's the excuse the excuse they needed yeah yeah and like any excuse is a good excuse to integrate our shadow in my opinion yeah yeah Yeah. well and and you know sometimes you have to look at the the hidden gift and what dementia is presenting to you you know and it's no it's to me it seems so apropos that like the first the last part of our brains that we develop is the piece that tells us to like put a cap on it. Like, don't be wild and take and like dance on the table. And that's actually not appropriate to do. That's, you know, we kind of get that like around the post-college phase, but like that temporal, that frontal temporal lobe that gives us impulse control. It gives us logic and reason. So we can go out and be like, you know, productive humans in society. It's also the first piece that we lose with dementia, which is like kind of an interesting opportunity to play you know? So like we lose those inhibitions. We, you know, people say they lose the filter and yeah, you do, you lose the filter and you lose that impulse control. And that's not always a bad thing. (laughs) That's not always a bad thing y'all. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I was, I was sharing about this with the gals the other day, you know, when I was a kid, I, you know, my creative expression, one of my creative expressions was like dress up and I would dress up and wear all these like totally weird and wonky outfits. And one of my like signature styles was uh, multiple hats. It reminds me of like that doctor, Dr. Seuss, Shel Silverstein, Shel Silverstein poem where he's like the guy who wears multiple hats, like stacked on top of each other. Like that was my vibe. And I could rock that vibe anytime I wanted except when we were going to visit my dad at his like fancy office downtown that was the one time my mom was like all right no or going to synagogue they're like no you can't dress like that 
And I was like, fine, I agree to your terms at the age of like four. <laughs> um, but ne- like recently I had um, a resident walk down the hall and he had like two or three hats stacked on top of each other. And he's just like jauntily walking down the hall. And in any other setting, people would be like, oh, 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 you, sir, like, let's turn around. You have too many hats on your head. And I looked at it and I, I remember I snapped a photo and I sent it to the gals. I was like, dementia fashion, like dementia inspired fashion, removing the inhibitions. Like I'm loving it. And he was just like enjoying himself, living his best life. And like, for me in that moment, that was a a cool way to like find meaning in something that's otherwise very mundane or in another setting is like really embarrassing. But, Mm. you know, I got to appreciate that, like, yeah, just a bizarre moment of, you know, some some something that said hey I want to wear two hats today and then another part that was like go for it um so I got just got to honor and celebrate that for him and you know he got to dress however he wanted you know and have that autonomy and yeah like going back to Kaylee's example somebody could walk in and say oh they really neglect people here they let him walk around like that oh that's really a poor reflection of care or wow this is a really forgiving environment that's really friendly that gives people that doesn't shame or humiliate or embarrass or correct people or try to bring them back into their lane no this is an environment that really allows people to lean into their brain change and oh maybe it's up to me to change course in this moment about how I respond to it so yeah. I get people who walk into my my community and 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 see it through both lenses and that's fine they always will but um, you know, I, I think it's really cool to be able to create a different kind of meaning around what we see happening with the changes of dementia, talking with other people, trying on different perspectives. Um, it's really, really hard to like get out of the day to day of it and that own your own vacuum of it. Um, if you're not talking to other care partners, so if you're not plugged into a support community, if you're not, you know, I don't know, even following people online who talk about these things openly, you know, whether it's, you know, a very practical skills approach about like, how do I get somebody to eat? Or, you know, how do we talk about the existential conversation about the change and the, you know, return to childlike self, you know, whatever it is, but plug yourself into a bigger community because it's such a cool opportunity to see how other people are viewing this journey. Um, And it's, it's been such a critical way for me to create that gratitude and that acknowledgement mm-hmm. that I, that I don't always explicitly get from, you know, family members and definitely not from the people I'm caring for directly. Um, so it, it's a way for me to, to fill my own cup. Um, and it's my first recommendation for anybody who's setting out on this journey. You know, we get with our, our clients and we say, okay, great. Who is your care community? Oh, you don't have some? Great, let's find you some. And and then we're gonna go from there because you're not gonna do this by yourself, you know, and we're gonna include ourselves in that community now. Um so that's all I'll have to say about that. <laughs> I love Erin, this idea of the the hats. Um 
and the fashion, because when you, when you were talking about it, I was really thinking about like gatekeeping of creative expression and who is allowed to do that and not, and who do we value it from and not. And mm-hmm. I, as soon as you're talking about the, the hat stack, right. Um, I'm thinking about Paris Fashion Week happening right now. And we see on the front page of every news, whatever, they're wearing the dresses upside down or like not on at all, or, you know, the pants on the wrong way or like, and we see that and we're like, oh, hi, fashion. Oh Oh, my goodness. What a creative innovator, right? And it's like, no, they just have creative impulses and follow them with conviction. Same, same you know, for other people, children, uh, people living with dementia, people who are non-neurotypical, anybody who is like able to push back against this pressure of judgment, right? And when you don't have that thing to be judged by, what kind of expression happens and how how cool is that? And like, what might happen if we leaned in and just really treated everybody's um, creative impulses like high fashion, right? <laughs> what if we respected the mismatched socks and the triple hats like we did, you know, uh, an inverted jacket on the runway, you know? I love this so much. Oh, <laughs> oh. There may or may not be like a side-by-side photo montage Meme coming. coming soon. Yeah. Yeah. Who wore it better? Yeah. Yeah. Who wore it better? <laughs> Balenciaga oh, or Resident? <laughs> that would be a great like submit for your community. Ask them to submit um their photos oh my God, I, love um, I love it I love it I'm just here to create that, more work for you but no, I great. mean that would it's be cool camp- it's a campaign that's the kind of thing that like makes the mundane day-to-day stuff for me like way more interesting so 100% I'm here for 100%. it yeah I mean th- it, it just it goes it goes against I, we were saying we have an addiction as human beings we have an addiction to progress and growth and we have an obsession with looking good and avoiding looking bad. And then if you're going to jump and be on this journey as a care partner, like you're going to really have to deal with that and dismantle that mm-hmm. for yourself. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, the, we, we get to this part in the conversation sometimes, you know, with, with our clients, but we begin to give them the tools to scratch the surface of this conversation. Yeah. Do we start out like this? No, we don't. Because people, when they come to us, they're not usually in this headspace of being like, allow me to shift my whole context around dementia. So, you know, they're like, how do I get back to the bathroom? Like they're freaking out and people come to us in a state of overwhelm. So again, we meet them where they're at. Um, and and we're, we're, we take on uh, a model that we've, we love good alliteration. So we've coined this our, head, hands, heart, humanity model. So when we start working with people, we are going to start by explaining, you know, how is dementia affecting someone's brain? How is that in turn affecting their their, their skills, their abilities, their personality? And then, you know, how is that going to show up externally and how can we respond as care partners just to be able to like accomplish skills and, you know, go through life doing the things that you need to do, those activities of daily life. So we're going to start really practical, you know, wrapping your mind around what's at, what is dementia? What is it doing? And then hands-on skills. How do we, you know, adjust the environment or adjust our approach or position the dinner plate in front of them just so. So we do start out very, very practical. Um, 
And then we're like with that understanding, with that compassion, you know, we can have a little bit of uh, humor and lightheartedness and, you know, be able to, you know, find the lightness in somebody losing their, you know, impulse control and their reason and logic. You know, people don't, we don't start out that way. Um, but that's when Kaylee and JL are really able to come in and do that work, um, you know, that really taps into the heart, your heart self, um, and consider different ways to connect um, that are really more focused on the skills that somebody is retaining instead of focusing on all the ways we can highlight everything that's lost. Mm -hmm. um, and then we always round out our work with people, bringing it into this bigger conversation about humanity. You know, how do we make this more of a here community or societal or global conversation to contextualize it for people and be able to locate yourself in a much bigger conversation than your day-to-day -day of like, oh my God, I just can't get him to go to the bathroom. It's not going to make those day-to-day -day issues go away, but it's going to give you a different place to sit in the conversation when you can put yourself into to, to the greater humanity of it. So um, following that model has been really, really helpful, effective for us, head, hands, heart, humanity. Um, today you've all gotten to be witness to a very like heart and humanity level conversation. <laughs> but if you also want to learn like, you know, how to, how to transfer and, you know, set somebody up with visual cues to dress themselves, like we can <laughs> work on that too. Yeah. So I feel like I usually have a pretty heart humanity show. <laughs> So cool. I mean, maybe it's just me, but that's what I gear towards. So, cool. but I, I love that be, and I'm thinking that is how our capitalistic mindset will be dismantled is exactly that way through the head, through our body. Okay, every, everyone is dancing. Everyone is dancing in frame. <laughs> yeah. Getting to that heart and humanity part. I don't know where we're at right now. We're definitely transitioning from one of those places to another. I'm not going to say what I think, but. But like, but, we do yeah. have to like meet people where they're at, you know? And if like where they're at is I need to understand this, I need to wrap my brain around it. It needs to make sense to me. Like, okay, fine. Yeah. We'll meet you there. Yeah. And then we'll build from that. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. And it, you know, it's valuable to know, but we're also going to include this other piece of it. So <laughs> is there anything else you guys want to tell us about or dive into before we do the rapid fire? Cause I know you have a cool project you've been working on right yeah okay yeah um I'll tell you about our cool project so speaking of that approach and model um we are just three people and we we love working with our clients but there's absolutely like, there's there's limits to our reach we have bandwidth <laughs> um but to reach those people and um and to be able to kind of put um our approach into something tangible. We uh, developed a pair of workbooks. Um, they work best together. They can absolutely work individually. One is for the care partner and one is for the person living with dementia and their um, legacy workbooks. They offer um, really helpful information, the dementia education, what's going on, why does she do that? What's that all about? How can I adjust my approach to be um, more effective and impactful. They offer um, art therapy prompts uh, that really walk you through step-by-step, step, not only the person living with dementia, but how do I, as a care partner, I'm not an artist, how do I do this? Or 
music therapy prompts. I'm not a musician. How do I do this? They really walk you through step-by-step. Um, how to have, how to have the process be meaningful and not just the product. Thank you. Ding, ding. Yes, exactly. Um, and yes. And, uh, after you have this product that is a, a legacy object, um, that you can go back to, um, it's really meant to be a, a, a living um, support, something that you can revisit those pages as things change and as the dementia progresses, uh, because you're going to get a different response on different days. Uh, but mm -hmm. then you can keep those. And it's really sweet and precious to kind of look back on uh, your journey together. Um, so you can find those on our website creativedementiacollective.com. Um, and then you can also follow us on all the socials um, with the same tag, creativedementiacollective.com. We're doing fun, hot Cheeto memes, uh, high fashion <laughs> memes, <laughs> who were at best, uh, funny reels. My my dad makes a cameo now and again. <laughs> so it's a, it's a fun channel. <laughs> it is. And you guys, you do exactly what you said, where you have a lot of that very like info, infographic, info stuff, very tangible. And then you're also like, but also keep this in mind that like your perception is biased based on your own stuff. So yeah, you guys do a really great job with that, finding that Thank balance. You. Thank you. Shall we rapid fire? Yeah. So some of the ready. questions. <laughs> Some of the questions are a little different, uh, but most of them are the same. So the first one is coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee. Tea. <laughs> I think that was the same as last time, which yeah. probably this one will be the same. <laughs> Early bird or night owl? Night owl. I'm whatever wakes up like after owls go back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like afternoon. I, I tend to get up early right now because dad gets up early. Hmm. If I could sleep, I'd sleep to like eight or nine. That's not, you know, night owl, but it's certainly not up with the sun either. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for all getting up in the morning to talk with me. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Favorite Worth way. It. Thank you. <laughs> Favorite way to care for yourself. Salsa dance. What, what was it? Well, I was gonna say salsa dancing. Salsa dancing. Dancing, yeah. I, I dance in a salsa studio. Mine's a bath and a book. I, ooh, I like that. Yeah. Mine is, I love a corruption documentary. <laughs> <laughs> I love watching documentaries about like corporate corruption uh, unraveling. Yeah, that's, it's really... Um, <laughs> relieving for me to to witness that <laughs> do you have a subscription to Gaia yeah I do <laughs> okay <laughs> love that all right favorite way to care for others I love cooking for people I think making food for people I love as an act of care is really powerful for me I love um being able to set people up to be the their best selves you know like um 
I tend to be very tidy. <laughs> I like systems. I like organization. Um, I like function. And then I also like to decorate to reflect. So like I do this for my husband because he is a sweetheart, but that man is a mess. <laughs> the drawers that are only his responsibility are absolute chaos, but he's also a cook. And so I organized the kitchen based upon when you're in this spot in the kitchen, what do you need hands-on access to when you're in this spot in the kitchen? What do you need hands-on access to? And like being able to make a space function. And then similarly for my dad, um, his space, he's surrounded by sports. He's surrounded by 60s and 70s rock bands. He's surrounded by pictures of his loved ones. Um, so yeah, making, I, I really enjoy like setting people up to feel comfortable and seen and have life flow easily. I think my favorite way to care for others is to, um, grant them lots of listening space and then allow them to laugh <laughs> find a way to, to have them either laugh at themselves laugh with me something like that but yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. giving somebody that that little gift of humor good one <laughs> something oh I skipped one um yeah something you would tell your younger self I saw the faces to that one, the reaction. I'm trying to think because there's so many. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd probably, <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, my mom says that each of us kids kind of had catchphrases when we were little. Like there were things that we said over and over. And it's funny because um, my catchphrase when I was little uh, is really, <laughs> really on the nose for me. I have an anxiety disorder, but my catchphrase when I was little, as my mom says it, don't worry about it. <laughs> like exactly. Don't worry about it. Um, I, t I tend to get caught up in the, the stuff that really doesn't matter. Like, does it matter if it's perfect? No, it doesn't matter. Does it matter if dad's wearing the same sweatpants? No, it doesn't matter. Does it matter if the the dishes aren't done? No, it doesn't matter. Um, I tend to get caught up in that. Um, so don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> I would tell her lean into every costume, every silly dance, just crank it all up to a hundred girlfriend. <laughs> Anything that you might be seeing as a detour in life is not a detour. It's exactly where you're supposed to be. Yeah. I would tell her that your body is not a problem. You can exist in your body exactly how it is and don't listen to adults that tell you otherwise. Yeah. I like that. Something that's currently adding value to your life. We're so not rapid on these rapid fires. Um, okay. I know I'm like, please edit this to make it sound like we were like really like <laughs> no, snapping our responses. Great. 
I think it's important that like you guys are all taking the time to process the question and come up with meaningful responses. Then I appreciate that. So rapid fires. I don't have a better phrase. Give me one. <laughs> the fire questions. I don't know. Slightly slow, pensive slow fire. Burn. Slow burn. <laughs> slow burn. burn. Slow burn. <laughs> These are my slow burn questions. Welcome to the show. <laughs> So what was that question again? What's currently bringing value? Yes. Um, planning a wedding. I'm getting married in August. So Ooh. everything that that like logistically and existentially is having me confront and navigate and embrace a lot of value. Well, thank you. My amazing fiance who's there by my side for all of it. We love him. We do. I- I found him. That's another story. Uh, <laughs> and setting up yes. the environment in a different ultimately, way. Ultimately, Kaylee placed this person in my environment, <laughs> conveniently teed me up, and I ran with it. Yes. <laughs> uh, he's my husband's, like one of my husband's best friends um, and my bandmate. Um, okay. So here's what's adding value to my life right now. And it's going to sound counterintuitive. Um, I'm going, I'm struggle bussing. I'm having. Uh, I'm having a lot of uh, really big tasks uh, need my attention quickly now. Um, And like, I know a lot of people say that, but like, these are tangible things with due dates that are not going to like, wait, it's not like, oh, I, I don't really need to do this. I'm just keeping myself busy. No, I'm, 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 I'm having a lot show up on my plate at once that are all very important. So it's not easy to say like, I'm just going to put something on the back burner. They're all very important. And because of that, um, the people who are really, really there for me are showing up. And like, there are times in our lives when everything's going really, really well, um, and you know friendships and relationships feel easy breezy and great but there is something to be said about like when everything starts to go wrong and life um I hate that that phrase where people are like life never the universe never gives you more than you can handle yes it absolutely does um it absolutely does and um when that happens um your friends who you're absolutely just like pleased to have the easy times with like really show up in in real ways and are are just like it it it's it's really incredible for me like to see my my community that i know is there um actually step up to the plate and actually like support me in the myriad ways that they're all very different but able to to show up and able to support me so that that's adding a lot of value right now yeah um I know it might be strange to plug another podcast while I'm guesting on a podcast but not at all um, please do. <laughs> uh something that's really adding value to my life and has for almost a year now is a podcast called living myth and it's hosted by a man named Michael Mead and he is a depth psychologist and mythologist and I love this podcast because I am someone who also has a tendency toward anxiety um but I'm also like deeply um, like when we talk about head, hands, heart, humanity, I lean hard on the humanity side and like very 
connected to um, like the existential legacy of things. And I, this podcast adds so much value for me because when I feel lost in the sauce of the current moment of the world feeling really heavy or really chaotic or really just out of control, the, the his podcast specifically examines modern current cultural problems through a mythic lens. And so it always just tethers me right back to my core and always makes me feel after listening for, you know, 20, 30 minutes of each episode that um, whatever I'm experiencing, it's really, it can be really rough and maybe not have an answer. And it's also not something humanity hasn't touched before or Mm. explored before. And so it just, it's for some people, the existential thing is like very discomforting because it's too big. But for me, it's really like the most calming thing to take it from the crisis of the moment out into this kind of story of of human existence that feels really grounding for me. So that's bringing me a lot of value as as things feel increasingly less and less tenable in the world around me culturally. I'm 100% going to check out that podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Okay. Um, This is a toughie. So take your time with it. Please reintroduce yourself without using any words or terms that describe how you care for others. So mother, spouse, teacher, caring, those kinds of things are off the table. That is a toughie. Yeah. I am a creative, connected, musical being who loves to move through the world and witness the power of others' creativity and and feel warm and cozy in those moments of uh, where time kind of (laughs) disappears, Um, Mm -hmm. those moments of like expression and presence and pure, um, pure like humanity connectedness in usually in music. That was a hard one, but fun with words. I am Erin and I am a full-time professional improv actor who is perpetually performing on the stage of later life. Well said. (laughs) They're dying. I love that so much, (laughs) Erin. I I am also that, but perpetually on the stage of school, (laughs) academia. What did I just say? Perpetual performing on the stage of later life. Okay, that's gold. Carry on. Resume. It's on your resume. Updating. Sorry, JL. No apologies. I love that so much. Oh, this is a really hard one. Um, I think maybe I'll tie it back to something I talked about earlier in the podcast. Of I'm JL, and I'm an artist who is passionately disrobing herself from all of the bullshit society heaved upon my shoulders since the day I was born. Yes. So soon that will be I'm JL. 
Yes. <laughs> we're, we're on the way. <laughs> Full stop. Yes. Love it. Thank you. Thank you all for, for going with that. Last question. How can the listeners find you and connect with you? You can find us um, <clears throat> on our website, creativedementiacollective.com. Um, we do free consultations if you're curious to hear if what we do is a fit for what you're doing. Um, also follow us on all the socials, same handle, Creative Dementia Collective. And um, anything else I'm missing? You could email us, info at creativedementiacollective.com. <laughs> yes. Yes. We also accept like homing pigeon pigeons if you have them, I guess. Yeah. 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 Send out, uh, send out, what are those like flags they use in, <laughs> in like the Navy? Perfect. Exact reference. Totally landed. Great. I know 0% about naval <laughs> communication. Well, I mean, the flags. flags. Got that. I only have a, a carrier Falcon, so I guess I can't send you an email. <laughs> well, in no, that I'll... case, in that case, Trisha, then just find us on Instagram. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, then I won't miss any of the memes, obviously. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, you guys, um, for coming on the show again, for having this conversation. I know you guys have it all the time, but thank you for including me in it and the listeners. Obviously, you guys will be linked so they can find all the amazing work you're doing and use your resources and connect with you all there. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us again. This was so fun. What a great way to start my Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank and you thank you so much. And thank you to everybody who chose to listen and do a little bit of self-care for yourself. I'm yes. super happy that we're in your ears right now and hopefully now in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this show today. I was not surprised by how much I enjoyed this conversation. I was so glad when these women reached out to me again and wanted to be on the show. I really looked forward to this conversation and it did not disappoint. So if you want to listen to our previous chat, check out the episodes linked in the show notes. They are numbers 111, 112, and 113 of this show. If you want to get CMTE credits, for listening to one of their awesome episodes, as well as some other related content, check out our pod course, Personal Development is Professional Development. It's currently on sale, so you can get it for $20 off until the 25th, at which time it will go into the vault, so it will no longer be available unless I decide to revamp it sometime in the future. So don't miss out on that if you want to get eight CMTE credits for listening to the show. Thank you again so much for spending your time over here with me today. And until next time, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Bye.